possible that the church who studies the same doctrines, who uh, some of us even go to the church, have been going to the same church for years, and yet we may have one side over here that will believe one thing and another side over here will believe another. This side over here will emphasize something more than this side over here will emphasize. So it is possible. It's also true with biblical characters that we find in the Bible. And we want to look at the lives of two men from the Bible. One wrote the first book of the Bible. The other one wrote the last book of the Bible. Moses and John both had an experience with God that you and I will probably never, ever experience in our lifetimes. Yet, even though they went through these experiences, they see things totally different than the other. Let's look at Moses for an example. Exodus chapter 2. Exodus 2, verses 1 through 10. Familiar story about Moses. Exodus 2, verses 1 through 10. And a man of the house of Levi went and took as wife a daughter of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, daubed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. And his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. And her maidens walked along the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child. And behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him, and the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So she called his name Moses, saying, Because I drew him out of the water. Familiar story, isn't it? Familiar story. Why did Moses' mother put him in this little basket and put it out in the reeds? She loved him. She really loved him. Why did she send 
his sister to watch over Moses while he was there because she loved him. Why did the sister run back and get the real mother to bring back to take care of the child? Because the family loved him. And Moses then was raised with his loving family to be able to experience that love. He came from a God-fearing home where there was a lot of love, but also was instructed on the ways of God. Moses had a very personal experience then later on after he grew up. Keep this in mind about the love that he experienced in the family. And now let's jump ahead of time to Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he, that's Moses, looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he, God said, Do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the ground where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Moses was asked right after this to become the spokesperson for the children of Israel that would be going, that were in captivity, that would be taken to the promised land. God was to be their leader, but he's going to lead through Moses. Moses had to go back to these people who had not really heard from God in a long, long time. They may not believe him. I mean, how many of us, if we were to say, when someone was to come up to us and say, oh, I, I spoke to God this morning. He was out in my rose bush. It was burning, and but it didn't really burn. And But he told me he's to lead this church. What would you think? This guy has a screw loose. Well, they're the same way. But God asked him to go back and to lead them. Not only that, he asked them to stand up against the mightiest leader of a mighty nation, Pharaoh, and tell them, 
take these slaves that you have working for you and let them go. Do you think Moses was eager to respond to this request by God? No, he was reluctant. Look what it says in Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. The Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because they're taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Do you see the reluctancy? Moses was reluctant to follow the instructions of God. What made him change his mind? Exodus 4, verses 1 through 9. Then Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, The Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A rod. And God said, Cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Furthermore, the Lord said to him, Now, put your hand in your bosom. And he put his hand in his bosom, and when he took it out, Behold, his hand was leprous, like snow. And he said, Put your hand in your bosom again. So he put his hand in his bosom again and drew it out of his bosom, and behold, it was restored like his other flesh. Then it will be, if they do not believe you nor heed the message of the first sign, that they may believe the message of the latter sign. And it shall be, if they do not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, that you shall take water from the river and pour it on the dry land, and the water which you take from the river will become blood on the dry land. Impressive, huh? God not only told him what to do, but then he demonstrated just exactly what would take place. Moses saw it with his own eyes. God said he would do something, and it happened. Moses was not so much attracted to the love of God, but to the exact word of God. 
God says he's going to do something and it will happen. The word of God meant more to him. He had experienced love in his family. He knows what love's like. But what he really needed was something to show to him the structure of God, the power of God, that when God says something, he's going to do it. Later, God would tell Moses about each plague that would take place in Egypt. And after doing that and going and telling the Pharaoh, the exact plagues would take place. It happened just exactly like God said it would. How strictly did Moses follow this philosophy of following the words of God? Well, Moses went up into Mount Sinai, spent time with God, and while he was there, God gave to Moses, written by his own finger, the finger of God, the Ten Commandments, written on, not paper, not papyrus, but in stone. And he gave it to Moses, and Moses took it back to his people to be able to share with them the exact words, the law of God. Something that would impress them. It certainly impressed Moses. But they didn't listen. They made, while Moses was gone again up into Mount Sinai, they decided, because he was taking so long in coming back, that they wanted something real to worship. And so they made this golden calf and they began to worship this image and began to dance around the image. And when Moses came, or was up in the mountains, when Moses was there, God said to him, Exodus 32, verses 7 and 8, The Lord said to Moses, Go, get down! For your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. They were breaking God's law. The very law that was very important to Moses and to God. The law God had given them as a guideline of how to relate to the God of heaven and how to relate to mankind. This law was so important that Moses made a very dramatic display of how he was displeased with the people. Exodus 32, verses 19 and 20. So it was as soon as he, Moses, came near the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing. So Moses' anger became hot and he cast the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. Then he took the calf which they had made, 
burned it in the fire and ground it to powder and he scattered it on the water and made the children of Israel drink it. Kind of upset, wasn't he? Moses to him, if God says it, that is extremely important. Don't mess with what God says. You've heard of don't mess with Texas. Don't mess with God. Let's shift gears for a moment now. Let's go from the first book of the Bible, written by Moses, actually the first five books, and let's now move on to the last book of the Bible, to the Apostle John. John and his brother James went to hear the teachings of a very strange man that people were calling the Baptist. John the Baptist. And as they listened to this strange man, they heard a message that was very appealing to them. For example, they probably heard something like John 3, verses 35 and 36. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hands. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. God loves? You see... A lot of the teachings in their day and age was that God was very wrathful. And he was ready to zap out anybody that was making a mistake. And the whole concept that this is a God that loves was foreign to their ears, especially to John's ears. You see, the religious people at the time were really emphasizing the law. And to make sure that you didn't break that law, they wrote volumes of books to be able to teach you how to keep those laws perfectly. So the concept of love They also heard Matthew 3, verses 1 and 2. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Hearing a message of love and then saying to repent. You know what John did? He responded by being baptized by John the Baptist. They became disciples of John the Baptist. They were not likely candidates of being spiritual leaders, nor would they really be called gentlemen. The opposite was very true. James and John were born into a fisherman family that lived on the west shore of the Sea of Galilee. They were partners with their father 
in his fishing business. And guess what kind of a life they lived? They were accustomed to the toil and hardships of a very harsh life. Mark 3 verse 17 probably describes it the best. James the son of Jebedee and John the brother of James to whom he gave the name Boranages, that is, sons of thunder. Kind of describes their life. Sons of thunder. Thunder is very loud and scary and unexpected. And I'm sure their temper often ended with brotherly squabbles and fights. You wouldn't exactly call their home a, a haven of love like what Moses was used to. It was a harsh dog-eat-dog home. The fittest, the loudest, the angriest was the one that would dominate the other. But something happened that was amazing to John. As he and Andrew, another disciple, were following John the Baptist, a man came into the picture, a stranger. John 1, verses 35 to 39. John stood with two of his disciples, and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and seeing them following said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated teacher, Where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and see. And they came and they saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. And guess what they saw Jesus doing that day? He was reaching out in love to other people. He was reaching out and healing other individuals. He was not harsh. He didn't raise his voice. He didn't tell them to go away. They saw the true love of Jesus and decided to stay with him. What was the emphasis to John? Was it the law? No. The law was harsh. It was the love of Jesus that meant so much to him. From that point on, John walked hand in hand with Jesus. John 13, verse 23. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. The son of thunder is now called the one whom Jesus loves. Notice what he's doing. He has his head leaning on the chest of Jesus. He could hear the heartbeat of the one that loves him. Sometimes when a child is born, they take the little infant and place it on the mother's chest. And the baby calms down when he hears the familiar, loving heartbeat of his mother. John 
could calm down and no longer be the son of thunder when he was the closest to his Savior, Jesus. It was the love that John craved. Later when John began to preach, he preached a message of love. 1 John 4, verses 6 through 12. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God. For God is love. In this the love of God was manifested towards us that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. God abides in us and His love has been perfected in us. Do you see the emphasis? Do you see what changed John? Was the love of God. Not the law, but the love. Moses was attracted to the law. He had experienced love in his home. But what he wanted was Something where someone says something and it's done. And when God came and gave him that, that was impressive to him. John was attracted to the same God, but for a different reason. He was attracted to the love of God. So what should we follow in our life today? Do we follow the love or do we follow the law? People today are either attracted to the law and the exact word of God, which is often comes through loud and clear in our evangelistic series. Yet others could come to an evangelistic series and says, this is not what I'm looking for. But what they're attracted to is the love of God which comes from a ministry that reaches out to the needs of other people such as a health ministry. Let me share with you something that we really need to do in these last days, is that we have to balance the two. Not one above the other. But we have to balance the two. Jesus was asked about the law, and his reply was, Matthew 22, verses 33 to 44, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Notice that they're talking about the same thing, about the law. Jesus says, the first one is to love your God. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang the law and the prophets. The law must be combined with love. 
God is the lawgiver, but God is love. John 14, verse, verse 15, 23, and 24. If you love me, keep my commandments. See the two of them together? 23 and 24. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. That's his law. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Do you notice how Jesus says that they go together, the love and the commandments? Moses was attracted by the law, and he used that emphasis in his ministry. And when the people broke the law, he smashed dramatically that uh, tablet of stone. Wasn't it later on that when... uh, He came, he got angry, instead of hitting the rock once, he hit it twice. Sometimes keeping the law doesn't protect us always. But John was affected by love. As long as he was close to Jesus, his love really moved his life in different ways. But when he was separated from Jesus, do you remember what the disciples were doing before in the upper room before Jesus went through and was washing their feet? Do you remember what the disciples were? Who's the greatest? They're arguing. You see, when you're separated from the love, you can change as well, too. We've got to have them both. If we're going to be connected with God, we have to have the commandments of God, which is a structure in my life, which teaches me how to live a life worshiping God and to react around people. But I need to have that love because it's the love that has drawn me to our God. Revelation 1, verse 19. Through 17. I want to look at this because we looked at Moses and he had a burning bush experience. Do you know that John kind of had a burning bush experience, so to speak? Look at this. I, John, was on the island that was called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Who is this? Jesus, okay? The first and the last. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to his feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, furnace of fire. And his voice is the sound of many waters. And he had his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. What's the two-edged sword? It's the word of God. Commandments. And his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first And the last, I am the God that affected the first 
Moses who wrote the first five books of the Bible, and I'm the God that affects the last one who wrote the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. I am the God of the law and the God of love. They must go together because I am a God that does not break the law. It magnifies my character, and I'm a God of love. Because while you're yet sinners, I sent Jesus to be there for you, to give you life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. They've got to go together. He's the Alpha, the Omega. Genesis and Revelation. I've got to have them both, especially in the last days. I must be willing to give a balanced message. There will be some people that I will come in contact with who will need to have the law within their life. But there will be other people that I need to come in contact with that want me to be able to reach out to their special needs and show me a God of love. I've got to be so balanced with God that I can do both. I can do both. Praise God for Moses and John. For they gave us a message of balance, of love and the law. That is going to prepare the way for the soon coming of Jesus. Maybe we need to take our hymnals and sing. And I'm covered with his life. The, the topic of just this one song, it's the only song in all the hymnal that on the bottom it says that it's a topic about love and grace. God's law, law and grace. God's law and his love. Covered with his life. Hymn number 512. the first and the last verse. First and last verse. Look upon Jesus, sinless is He. Father, impute His life unto me. My life of scarlet, my sin and woe, covered with His life whiter than snow, cover with his life, whiter than snow, fullness of his life, then shall I know, my life of scarlet, my sin and woe, covered with his life whiter than snow reconciled by his death for my sin 
justified by His life pure and clean, sanctified by obeying His word, glorified when returneth my Lord, cover with His life. Whiter than snow, fullness of his life, then shall I know my life of scarlet, my sin and woe, covered with his life, whiter than Father, this morning as we looked out over the mountains, we saw the whiteness of snow that can cover the darkness of the mountains. That's what covered our life. But in order to live a life closer to you, we not only need the love to have our sins covered, but we need to have a guideline, and that's your law. Teach us, Father, to balance our life. And to be a balance to others as we reach out for preparation of our hearts to be able to meet our Lord and Savior very soon. In his name we pray. Amen.